Hey, you may have heard that we've got some specialty t-shirts for sale. Be critical of the media you love with t-shirts that say, be critical of the media you love. They are only on sale for a few more days. So please get yours at dftba.com slash femfreak. Is it a rule that like any military installation, like over a certain size, has to have a giant flag? This thing was so fucking huge. And how often do they have to replace them shits? I know it shouldn't matter. (laughs) And yet I feel like in a way it does matter, you know? Welcome to Feminist Frequency Radio. This is episode 44 and I'm your host, Anita Sarkeesian, and I'm joined by my fellow terrorist, Ebony Astor. That is the worst intro yet. And Carolyn Vetted. Wow. Uh, holla. Holla. <laughs> right? Isn't that what terrorists say in all the movies and TV I mean, shows? And as we learned from Zara Norbash, that just means hurry up. Come on. Yalla. Yalla. Sorry. My bad. Yalla. Yalla. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, hurry up. Yeah. Her, blow, her, blow, her. Explode, some, <laughs> explode something already, would you? For terrorists. This is the show that asks you to be critical of the media you love, or alternatively, we are the feminist killjoys coming for your media, depending on your perspective. Today's show, we'll dive into Jack Ryan, the latest questionable Tom Clancy epic on Amazon Prime. And as always, we'll finish the show by each sharing a little something in What's Your Freak Out? Now, on with the show. Before we begin, I need to issue a very sincere correction so a few weeks back, we released a bonus episode, which we actually released to the public because we thought it had a really interesting conversation about media consumption and engagement. Um, but we used Guacamelee, uh, a game by Drinkbox Studios, to kick off this conversation. Um, I have said so Guacamelee is a game that takes place in a in Mexico, the, basically the Mexiverse. The Mexiverse. Um, it uses a ton of imagery and cultural identity of Mexican culture. Um, and I said that it was made by a bunch of white people, and that kicked off this conversation about cultural appropriation and how we choose what media to engage with. Um, also, it is one of my favorite games for sure. Uh, I got a email from one of the creators of the game. His name is Augusto. Uh, Keanu, Keanu. Wow, I totally prepped to say that right, and I fucked it up. Anyways, it was the fucking nicest email. Like this dude should have ripped me a new one, and he just said, "Hey, I heard your bonus episode. I want to let you know that I'm Mexican from Mexico, and it was my idea. Like I pitched this. Um, you know, we it it is not an entirely white team. It is definitely led by someone of the culture it's speaking of, and and that so." Correction issued. Mm-hmm. Uh, we fucked up. I don't know why. For years, I've been thinking that it was made by a bunch of white folks. Um, so I can like this game more now. I think <laughs> I feel a little less bad about it. But I do want to thank him for being so, th- like, s- taking the time to tell us uh, to correct us, and also just uh, the the niceness of the email. I know I'm going off, but like he should have been an asshole to me and he wasn't. So thank you. Go play the game. It's delightful. Um, and if we fuck other things up, please let us know and we will uh, we'll correct them. So, yeah. all right. So I have, before we go any further though, I have to say 
um, I, I, I'm confused. Where's our live audience cheering us on as we... It is hard to work on? without that. I mean, yeah, like, look, I've had a taste now of walking out onto the stage while being cheered on by hundreds of people. I, I mean, you expect me to go back to recording this in a studio with no live audience whatsoever? Hey. Oh, yeah. we love you. All right, all right. Yeah, that's good. Okay, all right. Yeah, now, good. Can now I'm ready to record the show. All right. Yeah, cool. yeah. Thanks, cool, cool, thanks cool. Anita. Great. Uh, so why yeah. don't you let us know what's going on in the world after all of that? Ooh, okay. In the world specifically of Hollywood pop culture, but it's all going to lay it out right now. Both of the big stories that I have for you now are you know, sexual harassment related Uh, or, you know, so first of all, Olivia Munn is one of the cast members of, of the predator, not to be confused with predator. Uh, I was talking, I just want to make that clear. I'm talking very specifically about the predator in theaters. Now, not the Arnold Schwarzenegger flick predator from the eighties. So uh, director Shane Black, uh, had, there was a scene in the film in which uh, Olivia Munn's character was hit on by an, uh, a character who was played by director Shane Black's friend who has a very serious, he's a registered, uh, you know, child sex offender. In the movie or in life? In, in real life, he has this child, he's a okay. ch- registered sex offender. Um, and but, but it wasn't disclosed to Olivia Munn at the time of shooting. When she found out, she contacted the studio releasing the film, they cut the scene from the movie before it was released to theaters. But then what became an issue was that um, that as uh, Olivia Munn was giving interviews, like promoting the film, um, and she was supposed to be with uh, some of her male ca- fellow cast members, they um, did not show up to uh, uh, to be with her uh, in those interviews, um, you know, probably because they just didn't want to to talk about uh, this issue, right? Um, so Olivia Munn um, said uh, at one point, um, uh, it's not an easy thing to be the one to speak up. There are people who get mad at you for not helping them bury it. I'm sitting here by myself when I should be with the rest of the cast. Uh, so, she, you know, she made it very clear that she was not pleased by the lack of support she was getting from her from her fellow castmates. Um so the one in, so far the only uh, actor uh, in the cast who has stood up uh, sort of uh, made a statement in support of her is uh, Sterling K. Brown, who uh, did tweet his support of her and has made statements like now in support of her. But still, you know, the the silence from I think the male cast of the film in general has been pretty deafening, and that's really a shame um that's so fucked up yeah well the whole thing is fucked up but also you know so we talked like me too happened and everyone was like oh my god does this mean that there's going to be a change or people are gonna step up or like or you know whatever and we're seeing so much that the answer is no exactly yeah and 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 um so sort of a weird mirror of this situation with Olivia Munn, where her male, you know, cast members did not really take the opportunity to to come out in clear support of her, is um, so. Um, Julie Chen, who is married to Les Moonves, the uh, the soon to be ousted or ousted CBS CEO, uh, who uh, you know against whom the sexual harassment. Um, and just gender discrimination allegations just piled up and piled up and piled up. Um, on the sort of most recent episode of Big Brother, which she hosts, 
she signed off in a way that she has never signed off on that show before. Um, she signed off by saying, um, you know, thanks, thanks for watching Big Brother. I'm Julie Chen Moonves. Um, which is just this big, like, Whoa. fuck you, like, big, I'm standing by my man, but also cannot be, cannot be interpreted as anything also but a kind of fuck you to all the women who have come forward with, wow. with these, like, allegations against, against her husband, right? Uh, you know, meanwhile, this past week, also, with regard to, um, to, uh, Les Moonves, um, the creator of... Of designing women and a lot of other hit shows at CBS, Linda Bloodworth Thomason wrote a really scathing uh, piece that just went into so much detail about her experiences at CBS when you know she was like CBS's biggest, you know, or one of their biggest hit makers. She had been involved in the creation of all these uh, series, and when Moonves uh, took over CBS, he basically. Um, despite the fact that some of those shows were like very successful and everything, and that she had this contract to produce more pilots for them over the next several years, um, he basically uh, kept saying, often, uh, so this is uh, Linda Blood- Bloodworth Thomason speaking about Les Moonves. Um, she said, often if he would catch me in the parking lot, he would make sure to tell me that my script was one of the best he'd read, but that he decided in the end not to do it. She said, it always seemed that he enjoyed telling me this. So he just, and um, she goes on to say uh, about Moonves, mostly he presided over a plethora of macho crime shows featuring a, a virtual genocide of dead naked hotties in morgue drawers with sadistic female autopsy re- reports ratcheted up each week. And then she, she says, um, is that a missing breast implant, Lieutenant? Yes, sir. We also found playing cards in her uterus. Um, I mean, that's that's her. No, being she yeah, funny. she took oh, to the cross in that one. One of the things that I loved about uh, Linda Bloodworth Thomason's piece is that you know she she makes it clear that although she was not the victim of um, you know sexual assault or, or sexual harassment by Moonves, um, she's clear that a, a powerful person or or any man who engages in that sort of behavior. That sort of behavior is not anomalous. It's not as if you are a great person, but you just have to to have sexually harassed some people or sexually assaulted some people. You are a trash person through and through. This guy is a a petty tyrant who was determined and explicit about not um, letting women advance and recreating um, this this version of CBS that was this you know kind of macho fantasia you know um, I think you know the the story about the Supreme Court confirmation hearings of Brett Kavanaugh um, and the way that his supporters have sort of rushed to present this story of like this letter of support from 65 women he apparently knew in high school who were ready to, you know, assert <laughs> Which it. Which is bonkers. Yeah, yeah, right, like, what? Yeah, yeah you oh. know, and it's like, first like, of all, how did you get 65 people, 65, you know, girls from from this dude's high school? Like, he's 53 now. I couldn't tell you yeah, six uh-uh. people I went to high school with, you know, let alone 65. And all, like, But just the idea that, like, oh, if he hasn't assaulted me, then it's yeah. not it's not possible for him to have assaulted anyone. Here's so I 65, love that, yeah, yeah, 65 women he didn't assault, you yeah. know. Uh, there, uh, 
It's like that. So like that means anything. Absurd. Yeah. Absurd. Yeah, but just this idea that, like, you know, yeah. oh, he may not have assaulted me, but yes, absolutely, he inappropriately used his power. You know, it's just. It, if you are the sort of person who will engage in these kind of power plays and intimidation tactics um, of sexual assault or sexual harassment, this these are not one-off things. These are not anomalous things whereby you are otherwise a good person. You're trash. Did you know that we can keep bringing Feminist Frequency Radio to the airwaves because of you? It's true. If you're enjoying our show, please consider joining our podcast community at d.rip slash femfreak, where you'll get access to some fun perks and bonus episodes. That's d.rip slash femfreak. All right, let's move on to our main section for the week. Do we have How- to? I no, we don't. Do, we could talk about anything else, right? Because now. I, this show, Anita, I want to make yeah. sure that everyone knows this was an Anita idea. No, no it wasn't. It was a Carol idea. It was. I oh, I take it back then. I take it back then. Full credit for this terrible idea. Well, oh, Ebony, I was like, yeah. Whew. I take full credit for this terrible idea, but I, you know, I, I do want, I think it's important that we talk about how terrible this show is. Yeah. I did not suffer, Ebony, I did not suffer through two hours <laughs> of this show for nothing. Oh, okay. man. Two hours of my life, I can never get back. The people <laughs> must know. Oh, my okay, gosh. Let me set this up. Um, so we are talking about Jack Ryan, which is a new show on Amazon Prime. It's based on Tom Clancy's novel series. There were previous movies starring Harrison Ford about it. Um, Uh, actually, hey, Ebony, can you name all the actors who played Jack Ryan before, before our boy, uh, John Krasinski? Harrison Ford. Yes. Alec Baldwin. Yes. Ben Affleck. Yes. Chris Pine. Are you serious? Yes, that's it. You got it. Boom! Last one? Chris Pine. What? Yeah, what? 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 What you never is... saw Tom. Cl- you never saw Jack Ryan shadow recruit. No. Wow. wow. Okay. For those of you who are not familiar, uh, this iteration is starring Jack Krasinski, a CIA analyst. John Krasinski. <laughs> Fucking hell. I mean, this is such a basically fire the same person already. Yeah. Um. Okay. It is starring John Krasinski, also more importantly known as Emily Blunt's husband. Yeah, Mr. Emily Blunt. Mr. Emily Blunt. As CIA analyst Jack Ryan, who finds some questionable financial c- counting going down in Yemen. Mm, Yemen. Yemen. And then obviously becomes a badass traveling through the Middle East and Europe to stop the next Bin Laden. Dun, dun, what? Dun. All right, y'all. I watched the whole thing. Yeah. Just so everybody knows but, that okay. I suffered through all of that. Well, Cool. Per your instructions, let's, let's... I watched the first episode, and then I know you wanted to talk about uh, some episodes that were near the end, episodes five and six, I think. So I watched those. So I had to sit through three hours of this. We're all malarkey. over the map. Yeah, we are all over the map. And you know what? It it didn't hurt or help that I was you know picking and choosing what we were watching because the show was garbage. Uh, okay, here's what I want to say about the show. Um, I think that this show is imperialist, jingoistic bullshit, as is a lot of Tom Clancy narratives. Yeah. I think that the this iteration of it, I've never seen other ones, but having seen shows where it is American military going after uh, Middle Eastern or Muslim uh, t- quote terrorists, 
I don't not he was he is in this Wh- whatever. Um, I think that the show attempts to subvert that and tries to make it a little more quote unquote even keeled, but fails fucking miserably at it. And that we should not give it the credit that people are. Tr- some people are trying to give it for doing those things. So what I'm referring to is when the show starts, um, the man, Suleiman, who is like the main terrorist guy that they're going after, um, him and his brother, their town was attacked by the U.S. military as a child. So that was what radicalized him. While they were listening to Safety Dance. Right? Um, no, I Because they I th- loved America. So, yeah. So they're showing like the origin of it's really America's fault that this is right. happening to some degree. Only um, they... Only they, 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 they Importantly, they really kind of don't, right? They put no, they, we pass they don't. it off on the French. We pass That's it off saying. on the French. That's you know, what I'm like, saying. We you know, can't like, even fully accept responsibility. It's those like just you know shitty couple of French uh, cops <laughs> who wind up being the sort of inciting incident. But then you have stuff that happens near the end where they're like, but this happened in France. Why don't we just let France deal with it? Where, Sorry, the American military and CIA and intelligence are like, why are we getting involved? This isn't our problem. And there's these big sweeping, it's it's the world's problem. And where do you think they're going to go next? And of course, America needs to get involved. Bullshit. Hmm. Um, yeah, I want to. Yeah, I do want to talk about how because I feel like that the producers of this show or the creators of it very consciously tried to. Like, you can see how they very consciously tried to do everything to, like, cut off or shut down any criticism that the show is, like, anti, uh, is, like, Islamophobic. Islamophobic. So so you have, um, there's this scene in the second episode. You have uh, Jim Greer, played by, you know, Wendell Wendell Pierce, who's this actor who I really really like. Love Uh, him. And he... You know, he goes, he has to leave the CIA office to for, to go do something. And what does he go do? He goes to meet with, like, the imam from his mosque. You, this is where you find out, oh, he's Muslim. He's kind of struggling with the faith because he converted to Islam really for his wife. But, you know, but the, the imam is like, you know, please, you know, remember, uh, you may have given up on Allah, but Allah has never given up on you. So obviously you're meant to think, well, well, not all Muslims are bad, right? Yeah. Like, but the, the American Muslims maybe can be fine. Oh. Yeah. So there's a scene later on, too. So it doesn't him being Muslim doesn't come up a ton, but like they definitely set that up. That's like the most obvious there's a scene in another episode where they're with a french police officer and there he greer is in a car with this white french dude who's going off about like muslims and blah 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 like a lot of islamophobic stuff and greer pulls out a tisba which is the the beads yes and he's just he's playing with them we're not playing with them. He's using them. Um, and the guy's like, what is that? He's like, he he, he makes a comment about um, I'm when I can't pray, I use these to pray to Allah for, um, you know, like uh, uh, to. Oh, God, I just fucked it up. Basically being like, you're an asshole. And I'm praying to God, Allah to not fucking deck go you off right on now. you. Right, yeah. right, right. Um, and it was like. I love Wendell Pierce. I love that he plays the same character every fucking time because yeah. it's such a good character. Yeah. <laughs> and like it was a beautiful moment, but it is that bullshit of, oh, this is a these strategic... are the bad Muslims yeah. and these are the good Muslims. Right, and right. A- Another thing I have to say is that, so um, you do see a lot of, I-, I don't know whether they were shot on location in places like Yemen or not, if it's just, if it's all like, you know, but but whether they were or not like well, I think you, it takes place in a lot of it takes place in Turkey. Okay. But you see these kinds of locations 
that are really beautiful. You know, I'm, there's like shots in the first episode of like merchants with all these really colorful spices and things. And just the architecture is beautiful. And I mean, there's so much beauty there. And it's like, I get frustrated because like the only, almost the only times I as like a consumer of Western media see places like this, it, it, you know, whether it's in, in like Call of Duty Modern Warfare or, you know, TV shows like this or, or fucking uh, Zero Dark Thirty or whatever, it's almost always part of some terrorist narrative. It's almost never like just a story about the lives of people in those places. Yeah. And that's... You know that's really yeah. sad. I want to I want to go back and um and really kind of frame the the larger show. So as, Anita, as you said, this is a show about Jack Ryan, this economics PhD who we learn uh, has come to the State Department from Wall Street. He is a former Marine, um, and I think it, the show really works hard to um, kind of give him his kind of like physical masculine bona fides in addition to making him an egghead, right? So we see that scene of him answering questions, you know, rapid fire uh, Jeopardy questions, getting them all right. And so we're meant to understand that this is an incredibly accomplished, incredibly brilliant analyst, but also he likes sports and he works out. So he's a real man. He's not just some egghead. Right. And who's he's removed. former Marine. He's yeah, a Marine. You know, so he's, he's not removed from, you know, kind of like the macho considerations of the world. He is, a, in effect, like a, a real man. Um, and I thought that was really interesting, given the kind of um, iterations of Jack Ryan that we've had in the past. But that's neither here nor there. So this character, Jack Jack Ryan is an analyst in the State Department. He has flagged these um, uh, kind of anomalous financial transactions. No one takes him seriously. He he acts on them. He sort of goes rogue, acts on them. He turns out, it turns out his, his theories are correct. Um, and they are put on the trail of the big bad Suleiman. One of the things that disturbed me so much about the way this show tried to have it both ways and suggest that, oh, you know, there is, um, you know, radical Islamic terror that, you know, is a, a global phenomenon that we need to fight on every front. But also these people, you know, um, maybe we're partially to blame for where they are. Is this the opening scene where we see Suleiman, what we learn is Suleiman and his younger brother in Lebanon, um, you know, listening to safety dance, having a good time, laughing with their family, and then watching these um uh, fighter jets come and then decimate the the area, and we see what we assume is two children blown up. I was so angry because it is not that I want to see anything happen to children, um, and it's it's not as if we see like their their bodies physically blown up, but nevertheless, it is so much rarer to see violence against white children in the media. Um, real or implied, because people simply don't accept it. But in a way, we are we have been conditioned to accept violence against brown bodies in a way that we haven't for white bodies. And so when the show tries to suggest that, oh, you know, um, perhaps it's, you know, partially due to our misguided actions that these people are now behaving the way that they are, I'm like, no, no. They're, they're, the way that you're trying to humanize them now is too little, too late. Um, the trauma that they've incurred doesn't resonate with your Western audience as much because there's a whole system in place whereby we haven't been taught to see them as human, you know? Like, it just felt so flat. And when we see, you know, the versions of, like, 
the the good Muslim um, or you know the the good Middle Easterner. It's when people are approximating whiteness or Westernness to some extent. So you have Jim Greer's character, right? Or in the past when we see Suleiman in France, you know, speaking French at at the bank and whatever, and it's like, oh, see, like the closer they get to whiteness, the closer they get to they can, you know, when they when they don that mask, they're more civilized. I just, oh my god, I hated this show so much. Yeah, there was for me. Uh, I mean. I- to me, okay, so in the first episode, again, you know, you have these scenes in, in Yemen and stuff. I think I think most of the first episode's kind of uh, uh, Middle Eastern uh, action takes place in Yemen. And then you cut to this, like, extremely fancy garden party that Jack Ryan is attending because, you know, his old boss wants to talk to him. And, and you know, the juxtaposition there between the the lives of the the people you know in in like the middle east and and at this like luxurious garden party i mean i, I know that i know that the creators would deny this but to me there just seems to be implicit in like the politics of a show like this where these people who are justifiably angry are, are taking actions to disrupt the, the the world order that keeps them in living in like relative poverty and you know struggling while the United States enjoys such wealth um you know there's I, I just feel like there is this implicit political attitude there of of look you know this is the natural order of things our lives here in the US like matter yours don't so much and you know, the way you're trying to change it is is unacceptable. So just like accept that this is the way that things are. Like just accept that that, that is your world and your reality. If you contrast uh, the way that scenes of that are set uh, in the West or in predominantly white spaces are presented versus scenes set somewhere in the Middle East or in Turkey or in predominantly brown spaces, the way that they are given to us is entirely different. So like you say, with this garden party, in these white spaces, the sound is lower, it is more ordered, it is more expansive. Um, the the people are shot, you know, straight on versus when we are in these brown spaces, the, the sound is a cacophony. The shots are much tighter. It feels claustrophobic, as if to suggest and it does that whiteness is meant to it's meant to emphasize the difference between like order versus chaos civilization uh versus savagery you know it's so clear that this show at its heart actually does believe that there's something fundamentally alien about brown people and about middle easterners that perhaps can never be overcome i agree with you and um so i having been to places similar to this it is louder and it is tighter and they it is narrower spaces and like it is it is different than these than you know what we what the west generally is and so what's interesting to me is that they're using these modes of like they're using film language to to define the parameters that ebony just laid out really well but also like those spaces are are not nece- are not bad or there's no value attached to them. They're just the way that these communities have operated for fucking centuries. Um, and how how do we frame those as celebratory and yeah. happy and good and and neutral and whatever? Right, as opposed to being like, well, this is chaos and this isn't, even though it's not. Right, like it, it's it is 
I'm sorry. I don't mean that it's not chaos. I mean, I mean, I do. I mean, I mean, I mean, I mean, I don't, I don't know where I'm going with this, but it's, it's just different. And as opposed to adding, yeah. And as opposed to us putting our Western lens onto it, being like, but this is how this culture operates. And I think that could happen in a, in a different kind of narrative. Like, I think that, you know, films by filmmakers in, in, you know, from that part of the world kind of who are just telling stories about the the people in that culture i think the because the whole because the people there would be being framed differently it could frame the 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 environment differently whereas i'm not sure at this point in 2018 no matter how careful and how like thoughtful the creators are about these things as as we've said like the creators of this show to some extent have tried to be i don't know if you can have a show that centers like a white man as like the hero you know who gets all these moments of like determination and focus and like heroism um you know who's pitted against brown men brown skin that we've seen associated with terrorism and violence for so long and 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 little else like like very rarely have these people had the chance to be you know human like fully defined complex human beings on our screens in our stories like i think that the that the ideological baggage that just comes inherently with a show like this is going to prevent like that, you know, a, a kind of pot. Like, I just don't think you can do yeah, the no, show and, not, and have it not be fucked sure, up. Right. Sure. Yeah. And that's the problem. Remember that scene where Jim Greer played by the wonderful Wendell Pierce is, you know, talking to um, Jack Ryan and, and Ryan is feeling guilty because he shot um, Ali Suleiman, um, who was Musa Suleiman's younger brother. And he was like, you know, if I hadn't shot him, maybe we would have had um, forewarning of this, this horrible Paris attack that happens midway through the series. And then Greer tells him this story about this, um, this TSA agent before 9-11 who called oh, to turn God. himself in. Yeah. Called oh, to turn himself so in. Fucked up. And he's like, you know, I saw these, you know, these two Middle Eastern men, uh, they came through my line and I turned to look at them and uh they I would notice they were wearing cheap shoes and it, it was um it was a stark was in- contrast to their yeah. first class tickets and their their new clothes. And I thought there was something wrong, but I, I let them through. And so Jim Greer uses it, you know, this this anecdote to say to to Ryan, listen, we can't know everything. You know, if he had um, if he had stopped them, it would have seemed irrational. Whatever. And it's like your surface words are saying one thing, but you are, in fact, arguing for racial profiling in that moment because we know that then those men went on to, you know, perpetrate part of the horrific 9-11 attacks. And so the message that the audience gets from that is, oh, but if that guy had actually stopped these Middle Easterners who, remember, their crime was only wearing cheap shoes, you know, um, then perhaps part of 9-11 could have been avoided. That's how this, this entire show works. It wants to have its cake and eat it, too. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, Oh, God, I hate this show so much. I can't believe I watched the whole thing. Uh, So gender, I want to talk about the women in this for for briefly. So there are three women, three like women that we follow in it. Two of them are white women. One is a French, um, like she's a cop. She's like the the head of the agency. Uh, Does she die? I think she might die. I don't remember. She was so I don't I don't think I saw that character in any of the episodes I watched. So yeah, and then okay. there's the um, the love interest, and like which is ja- which is Jack Ryan's ex boss's daughter, who does she's like a really renowned 
um, doctor who studies. Yeah, is she like an epidemiologist or something? Yeah, thanks. I was like, I don't. She studies like Ebola and shit. Um, so so she's really smart and she does play a role in the narrative. It's not just the love interest, but it does feel a little bit like let's make the love interest a little bit, not just a love interest. Like this whole show is like this entire show is full of tropes. How do we like try to subvert the tropes, but not really at all doing anything to do that? So the the third woman that I'm thinking of, though, is um, uh, Musa Suleiman's wife. Uh, I think her name is Hanin. Um so there's a stark contrast between the way like that white women are portrayed and the way that brown women are portrayed. And this goes into this long history of when we show Muslim women, they are helpless. They are like, you know, they're they're the the way that they look and act is is supposed to be like uh, they they need our support and they need to be saved by the west and all of this shit right or they're like secret terrorists hiding bombs under their scarves and shit right anyways so hanin is realizing that her husband is like about to he he's just a dangerous dude and he's really sketchy she doesn't know the extent of it but um you learn throughout the story that like he, he she was given to him to fuck by her dad. And he was like, no, 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 I don't want to do that. I want to marry her. So she clearly doesn't want to be in this marriage, which is just another example of like how we are creating these narratives about like this general Muslim, like the 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 boogeyman of what it means to be Muslim in, in the media. Her whole narrative is about her trying to escape this guy and take her kids away from him. And so you see um, she is threatened with sexual assault. You know, you do you do see her being like, I'm going to do this. I'm going to take control. I'm going to figure this out. But ultimately, like Jack Ryan is the only person who's there to help her. And she has to put all of her faith in him. Um, This brings up one of the episodes that I actually wanted you to watch because they realize that she's on the run and they need to get her because she might provide intelligence, right? Um, Greer and, and Ryan. So they have to partner up with this guy who is uh, a horrible human being that, that takes girls and puts them into sex traffic, sex traffics them. And so they have to like pay him a lot of money to help him get her back. And Ryan is like, I, how, why are we giving this guy money? He's horrible. And Greer's like, this is how it's fucking done. And it's just that whole thing. That whole episode is supposed to be this like moral quandary about like, if you want to do good, you also have to like participate in the bad. And the way it was all played out was just like, I hated the characterization of Ryan as like, this like perfect idealistic, you know, never like is, is just going to make all of the right choices all of the time and everything can be solved perfectly. But also the moral conundrum is fucked up to begin with in the narrative. Yeah. I mean, so I did not watch that episode, but, but even in the episodes that I did watch, there's very clearly that it's not even, it's not even like a subtext. It's, it's very much textual, like overt this, uh, this idea of, well, uh, you know, of course we, you know, we have to do unethical things sometimes if we're going to stop the bad guys. So you have um, Greer at one point once when they arrive in Yemen, um, Greer tells Jack, um, uh, hey, Archie, leave your merit badges at the door, which is like a way of saying 
you know, we're, we have to do some some unethical shit here. So, you know, I mean, like all the Americans, all the viewers who, who like think, well, well, of course we have to torture terrorists sometimes or whatever. Like it's totally telling them like, yeah, we fucking do. We have to just we have to be like really inhuman to brown people. But sometimes. in that scene, Jack Ryan just has a conversation with the guy. He doesn't beat him up because he's the good guy that doesn't do that. Like he's yeah. the he's the good apple of the military where everyone but, else isn't. And but like, we, but I think we 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 ultimately because and then later, like Greer says to to Ryan again in a different context. Sometimes you have to break a few rules to get the job he done. He says it like twenty fucking times yeah. in the show. And so I and I think like the like even though Jack has that kind of ideal you know that approach of not resorting to those things you know while he's while he's having a meal with the with who he do, the man he does not yet know is Suleiman but is Suleiman like Suleiman's crew comes and fucking you know bombs the 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 place the the uh the enclosure you know everyone gets you know so, so many people get killed Jack Ryan does have to get really violent um and so you know I feel like the there's there is this undercurrent of like yeah but but trying to be above it all, you know trying to be ethical all the time ultimately doesn't work you actually do have to do this really unethical fucked up shit to deal with these problems this is this was the 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 danger for lack of a better word of shows like this because as much as i hated this this movie or excuse me this show you can very easily get caught up in the slickness of it and the excitement of it such that the more insidious um, messages, you know, get absorbed before you're even aware of them, right? And because people like Wendell Pierce, um, actors like Wendell Pierce are so great, or the actor who played the the sex trafficker that you're talking about in that episode where Hanina's on the run with her two daughters, Nita, is an actor named Newman Akar, who is going to be the new Superman, who I've tried to shout out before to Anita in private channels, because he's amazing. <laughs> he was really good. Yeah, that's the thing, yeah. right? You know, but the, um, the, the writing, the... The message, because it reinforces um, the more kind of insidious messages that we are swimming through every day of our lives, are so compelling that it's pretty easy to find yourself going along to get along, right? When you have someone like Wendell Pierce telling John Krasinski as Jack Ryan, unclench your asshole, like there's just something funny about that moment and you want to be part of it. And you want to like, you know, you're like, yeah, Ryan, unclench your asshole. Sometimes bad things have to get done. You have to take a step back and be like, wait, what am I, what am I saying? You know, it is so easy to just go along with it. Yeah. Absolutely. I mean, this show, like technically is very well done. You mm-hmm. know, the, there are parts of the writing um, that are incredibly skillful. And although I have no particular love for Mr. Emily Blunt, I think he's fine in this. But it's actually the uh, the problem for me were these supporting characters like, you know, Wendell Pierce's Jim Greer or Numan Akar as Tony, you know, with his great line, geography as destiny and his Copacabana ringtone, you know, that, that I'm like, man, it would be really easy if this show were you know, not so hateful. It would be really easy for me to watch the show and get super into it. And the way that, you know, remember when 24 was on and otherwise, otherwise woke people loved that show. And you're like, what are you doing? What are you watching? No. Yeah, we get super seduced by the um, aesthetic of it and mm-hmm. the, the structure and the story. Like, that's the point. Like, yeah. we, we watch it, media it, to get seduced by yeah, it. And I, when it has all of these horrifying messages in it, like... Yeah, the, 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 like, I, I definitely, like, 
there, there's some part of me that is drawn to oh oh the hallowed halls of the cia oh like these slick you know computers you know like the idea the the images of like global surveillance and stuff there's just it's yeah it's like visually exciting and and you know i mean like my whole life from like war games on you know these kinds of like oh military like uh, high-tech military uh, intelligence stuff has been like alluring it's it, it, and you and i have to like consciously you know think about oh, oh my god like this is part of of how you know the united states is like a global kind of at times kind of oppressor or does really fucked up shit. Yeah. Yeah. And let's not, let's not ignore the allure of the casting of this show because, you know, like I've seen a couple of Jack Ryan pieces before and almost, you know, to a person, it's a bunch of middle-aged or older white dudes. Right. But this show in a very savvy way shows us a command center. That's much younger. That's got more women and has got more people of color. And that's absolutely used as cover. Absolutely used as cover. There's a scene um, where they they're in a like a bunch of people in the military or the government are in a conference room and the president, uh, you know, video chats in mm-hmm. and they're making a decision about whether to do an, do do a strike. Yeah. And I was sitting there being like, OK, I don't know if this is how shit goes down, but in all the movies I've seen, this is how shit goes down. So let's pretend this is how shit goes down. So they're like president blah 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 do we do the action that is potentially like you know a huge thing and i was just sitting there being like oh my god is that does trump get to make these decisions like the whole time i was like oh my god we're so fucked like does he get to make these huge monumental decisions about like who to murder in the world and the answer is yes i mean i but i i think that you know thankfully we have that resistance in the white house oh yeah (laughs) and i believe that they are working to not let trump make those decisions alone they will probably tell him what decision to make so we can really we can really breathe a little easier knowing that there's that resistance in trump's white house i'm speaking of um of of protocol and pomp and circumstance (laughs) the so in the uh, after Hanin and her daughters have been rescued and they're at some um, military base, uh, I assume still in Turkey. I'm not sure. But anyways, in like a, one of, an aircraft hangar and uh, Hanin is talking with Jack Ryan and there's one of those giant American flags in the background hanging on the wall of this hangar. And I don't know why this has never occurred to me before, because I've seen a lot of movies like this. But I have to wonder, who is making those flags? And how many are they cranking out per year? Is it a rule, you know, like in government offices where there's a picture of the current president? Is it a rule that like any military installation, like over a certain size, has to have a giant flag? This thing was so fucking huge. And how often do they have to replace them shits? I know it shouldn't matter. (laughs) And yet I feel like in a way it does matter. You know, like who is responsible for making these giant fucking American flags? How much does each one of these fuckers cost? I feel like Ebony just had her weekly freak out. Yeah. <laughs> I freaked the fuck. It took yeah. me forever to watch these three episodes because I kept having to stop and be like, I can't take this. I cannot take it. So, I mean, what's what's fascinating to me about Jack Ryan, I guess, sort of in closing is the way that for me, it does seem to because I guess I did going in have a legitimate question of can you if you're if, you know, for whatever reason, 
you you feel like you have to adhere to this structure of like the white hero, the brown terrorists. You know, if you within that structure do everything you can to make it not fucked up, is it possible to produce a not fucked up version no. of that? And the answer, the answer is no. clearly is no. You and cannot do that. I don't think that this is that. Like, I don't think that this is like, well, let's do everything we can possibly I mean, to make I, it less. But I think there's a lot of I it. think there's a lot of things. I think they I think they they knew, you know, they 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 were definitely trying to address like preemptively address or shut down criticism of being like islamophobic or it whatever feels archaic it feels old it feels like like i mean we haven't but i feel like we've moved past this culturally in our media and we haven't at all and that's what like I, i'm very curious actually how people are taking this because to me it doesn't feel contemporary it doesn't feel current it doesn't feel like the way that we we I guess to me it feels like an update, like you know, a a wo- a quote unquote woke update, and I mean woke that in the jingoism. hollow in the yeah. hollow sense of like quote unquote woke update of yeah. of yeah, like eight, like old of older, it does. yes, yeah, it totally does, yeah. All right, we do not recommend watching this show even a tiny bit. It's fucking horrible. Uh, that's it. Don't watch it. Mm-hmm. Now it's time for. What's your freak out? Carolyn, what's your freak out this week? All right. So my freak out, uh, it, it pertains to the new Marvel Spider-Man game for PS4. Um, so we talked about the game last week, how it does have, uh, and, and now having played it quite a bit myself, I definitely concur that it very much has the quote, the propaganda element of Spidey, you know, works very closely with like the NYPD to get these like surveillance towers back online and all this stuff. And and yes, like it, there, of course, there are there are some cops who are like on Fisk's payroll or whatever. Like like there are bad cops, but overall, like the 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 system of like the NYPD is is quote is quote unquote good within the within the game's like moral uh, structuring. However. And, and and there's a lot of generic stuff about the game. Like it's it's very like Ubisoft open world game with little activities to check off and do all over the map. But what's keeping me going through it is the the uh, the development of the characters, the writing, and some some aspects of the way that the world is developed and and presented. But um, I guess like one thing that I appreciate about the story is that Peter um is really financially struggling. Like he has basically no no money um and in fact like uh at a certain point in the game he gets like evicted from his apartment. He can't he he's not even paying rent anymore and he gets evicted and um um you know conveniently Aunt May um is a volunteer at a at a homeless shelter. This homeless shelter plays actually a pretty pretty significant role in the in the story of the of the game and you know so as peter you you have to like go spend the night at the homeless shelter one night and um and like you have this you can have this little conversation with one of the women there and peter's like feeling you know weird and like guilty and stuff about being at a homeless shelter and he says something like well i just feel i just feel bad about taking resources from people who need them and the woman says to him like well peter you know right now you need them um and I guess I just like uh, it's you know it's just kind of a small thing, but just like it's so rare to have I think depictions of he- heroic 
characters who are who have like real financial problems who are living in real financial precarity and so i just appreciate that it puts that peter is in that position in in the game story yes holy also i learned that uh they justify the backpacks in the lore so in so I know what you just said is very serious and yeah, I'm No, no, it. no. But in the game you like collect backpacks. Yeah. Which apparently is like, oh, you've just stuck these backpacks on the wall when you're in high school. And there's like dozens there's fi- of them. There's fifty five, I believe. So uh apparently in the game the lore is that one of the corporations gave you a lifetime supply yeah. of backpacks yeah. and that you just abused that. Just and I'm found, like, oh my I god, that's found so it. funny. I found that backpack yesterday. So he so Peter, when he was younger, he won the like Fisk science award or something so fisk is like like the kingpin he's a crime lord but he's you know he has a public image of being like this corporate benefactor or whatever and peter says something like oh and uh, so there's the trophy oh and here's the check i got for the award no way was i but no way was i going to take fisk's money i did take the lifetime supply of backpacks though (laughs) so it's a funny little like Uh a way for the game of like acknowledging that it's that it's its own silliness yeah. in that kind of gaming I way. Like, I like that. Yeah. That was good. All right, Ebony, what's your freak out this week? My freak out this week is Doctor Who. And I'm going to try and get through this without crying. Um, but I doubt it will happen. So I've been rewatching um, some episodes of Doctor Who and kind of thinking through what it means to me specifically. And one of the things that I've been circling back around is this idea of fear and anxiety that so many people just live with is either a constant low or high level brain grinding, breath stopping phenomenon. Um, There's a super cute YouTube clip of Matt Smith and Karen Gillan and Arthur Darvel, um, who played Amy and Rory, to to uh, Matt Smith's Eleventh Doctor at Comic Con, and oh boy, I can't remember what year. But anyways, a, a dad is holding up his daughter who's six, and she asks the doctor, and she addresses him as the doctor, which is just so cute. Um, she asks Matt Smith, "Are you afraid of the weeping angels?" And he says, "Yes, I am. Um, they're very scary, you know." And he asks her, are you scared of them? And she nods her head and he says, yeah, they're very scary, but I'm here to protect you from them. There was something so powerful about the way he validated her fear um, by acknowledging his own, um, but then offered her that that way of of living through it um, and that hope. Um, that just really hit me. And I think it hit me in particular because I've been reading, I don't watch the great British baking show or bake off or whatever it's called, but you watch it, right, Anita? Yes. So have you been watching this latest season? Uh Uh-uh. Okay. So apparently there's a guy on this latest season who's just like everybody's darling. His name is Rahul Mandal. Um, he moved to the UK, I think seven or eight years ago. He's a nuclear scientist and he's just adorable. Um, but he's so nervous all the time. He's so afraid all the time. And he, he talks about it. Like he will be physically shaking as he's baking or being judged, you know? And he, he says like, I'm afraid all the time. That, why would that be any different when I'm making a cake, <laughs> you know? Oh, and it just, wow. I know it was, it was so sweet. But um, 
So I've been thinking about this for like the past week or so about fear and and what we do in response to fear and how we make it through it and just draw our next breath um, and why Doctor Who like has always been such a a touchstone for me and such a comfort for me. And I rewatched um, some episodes from Peter Capaldi's season with Clara Oswald. It's the season where uh, Clara leaves the show. Um, and so before Bill Potts comes on as companion. And there's an episode that I wrote about in our like end of year top five called Heaven Sent. It is an episode that features just the doctor. Um, and he's essentially locked in kind of this torture chamber of his own mind. And it is about him wrestling with his fear and being honest about being afraid of dying and what it means to live alone without Clara. And the way that he kind of acknowledges feeling small and feeling, um, for lack of a better word, human, but knowing that he has to go on anyway and knowing that the fight um, the fight itself, the fight to keep living is, is worthwhile. That just, I found so in, incredibly moving and just hopeful and also so badass. I mean, just to wrap it up, sorry, I've been talking forever, but at the, at the end of this episode, we find out that the doctor has like the way to break out of this prison is that he has to, um, break through this diamond wall, this wall that's harder than diamonds, that's 20 feet thick. And he and his clones, because he dies after the attempt, um, punch this wall over and over again for billions of years. And he finally breaks through and he uses the analogy of the the shepherd boy who tries to tell a king how long eternity is by saying there is a, a bird that sharpens its beak on a diamond mountain that's 100 miles high and 100 miles around. And by the time that bird wears down the mountain, one second of eternity will have passed. Now, a lot of people say that's a hell of a long time, but I like to think that's a hell of a bird. And I just, oh my God, I just thought, yeah, just like you just keep going in your small way. You just keep going. That's my freak out. My freak out is Doctor Who. (laughs) Wow, Ebony. I, did, should we just end the show here? Because that was a lot. A hard act to follow, Anita, huh? Wow. Um, well, I was also, as you were talking, thinking about like the just how important media is, right? And like the stark contrast of what we talked about today of like how like media is so important that showing these really hateful, um, you know. like these hateful images and, and narratives, no matter how they're cushioned um, is such, it creates such damage to us as a society, but also how like these moments, um, how media can also validate deeply validate uh, our innermost thoughts and feelings that we might not be able to articulate or might not feel comfortable sharing, but that you see an alien who's been alive for eons feeling this feeling that you feel like it can be super validating and something that you can share with each other and, and a safe way to be like, Hey, did you watch this episode? What do you think? You know, um, my freak out is not nearly as deep and so much more selfish. Uh, <laughs> we, Ebony and I got our copies of our book. To, uh, Holy shit. Um, so we, you know, you, we, we each got a box of, of our book and I have to admit that like, I, 
haven't been super excited about. I probably shouldn't. Speaking of vulnerability, I haven't been super excited about it. I think, you know, the process of writing it, the process of like trying to market it, you know, just all of the things that come with it. I've just been really tired. And, you know, we're about to go on a book tour, which also sounds really tiring. Um, And so, so yeah, like privately and secretly, I've been a little like, okay, this is just a thing we did and we need to continue doing it and whatever. But like putting that book in my hands, like I kind of started crying when I opened it because it was like, holy shit, we like made this thing like in it and it's, it looks it's tangible it's tangible yeah. which you know we don't i don't usually make tangible things it's very i right I, we exist in the digital realm but also like it looked cool <laughs> like yeah it felt cool like and it was you know we it's fucking hard to write a book like yeah. it was a it was a fucking process and um I don't know. I'm really proud of us and I'm excited about it. And like, it just reinvigorated my like, holy shit, we did this thing and we get to share it with the world. And we've started getting a little bit of feedback from people who really liked it, which is really nice to hear. Like strangers who don't need to tell us that they (laughs) they like it, Um, which Carolyn has to tell us that she liked (laughs) it. Um, So anyways, that's my freak out. Just like... we, We made a thing and it's really cool. And I'm really, I'm actually really excited to to share it with people and and um see what they think so yeah. me too so not to be totally gross but you can pre-order your copy <laughs> at historyversuswomen.com we are going on tour um and stopping in a bunch of towns and it would mean a lot to us if you wanted to come out and support us and meet us and we have some really cool moderators uh so you can find out all of that info at historyversuswomen.com All right, y'all, that is our show. You can catch us back here every single Wednesday. But if you are a backer of this podcast, you should stay tuned for the bonus episode, which will be up next. If you aren't a backer, what is wrong with you? You can become one uh, by heading over to d.rip slash themfreak. If you're enjoying the show, please rate and review us on iTunes. And hey, when you're like sitting on the couch being like, what the fuck is wrong with this show? You can just lean over and be like, hey, I listen to this cool podcast that talks about what's wrong with shows. So tell your friends. <laughs> uh, you can check out all of our work and our other podcasts at FeministFrequency.com. And you can follow us on Twitter at FemFreak to stay up to date on all of the news. You can also find us individually on that website called Twitter.com. I am at Anita Sarkeesian. I'm at Carolyn Michelle. I am at... Newman Akar. <laughs> our producer is Phil Circus, who also composed our theme music. Technical support by Sarah Norales. Art by Jamie Varon. We'll see you all next week. Bye. Later. Bye.